0: Good morning, glory, America. It is the last radio hour of the week on the first day of September 2017. That means I am joined by Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College for the Hillsdale Dialogue, a weekly ritual that dates back many years. Now, all of my conversations with Dr. Arne and his colleagues are collected at hugh 4 com. They cover everything from Homer to uh, Homer Simpson. And uh, they also cover what's happening in our lives. And in a week like this one, Where a week ago, Harvey loomed but had not struck, and a week later, Harvey has devastated so much, I just thought we would talk about how the Constitution intended the states to help each other under a situation like this. Dr. Arn, good morning, and by the way, congratulations on your convocation for freshmen.
1: Yeah, we've begun the year, and uh, it was good, and uh, we, we've been torturing the freshmen all week long, and now they've started classes, so it's going to get worse.
0: One of the parents in the audience was tweeting at me that you, you told them, stay sharp because there are a lot of people who want your chairs. That's a little different from the ordinary <laughs> or, uh, opening message.
1: Well, we have uh, 24 more students, more than the goal. And and I did point out to them that we can spare a few. <laughs> <laughs> you
2: know, they kind look to your left, look to your
0: right. One of you won't be here in October. Is that the kind of speech you gave?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, it uh, yes.
0: <laughs> okay. Let, let let's start with um, what is bothering me about Harvey before I talk about what I love about Harvey. What's bothering me is the uh, the magnetic force of donald trump turns everything into a donald trump story this is not a donald trump story this is a story of about eight million people in houston who are doing a hell of a good job taking care of themselves in their state with some help from the governor and the president and everyone they of the agencies. but my goodness everybody wants to turn it into a donald trump story
1: yeah well trump's all over it you know so it's probably a good donald trump story but uh you know the there was a really great article by a friend of mine from England, Rupert Darwall, and uh he wrote about disasters in general and uh, come to find out in the West and in the development in developed countries and especially in the United States of America, the body counts are low when when things like this happen, and in undeveloped places they 're higher, and the reason is the infrastructure is very different and you know, there's things are not solid and things collapse. And uh, so the first thing to, to notice is it's uh, a great achievement of the United States to have built solid cities for people to live in so they don't just simply collapse, even under the weight of a thing like this.
0: I also have a theory, which I'll test out on you and I put it out on the web. When Katrina hit in 2005, social media was in its infancy. And our communication systems were compromised and the local government was extraordinarily inefficient and the governor of the state was paralyzed. In 2017, social media made communication of need and urgency very, very easy. The New York Times ran an extraordinary story showing how many people just appealed for help and rescue and they got it. And the governor, Abbott, is really quite a remarkable fellow. And the mayor of the city, Democrat, is doing a good job. And the rule of law has been remarkable, and I want to ask someone at some point whether or not the fact that it's a concealed carry state might contribute to that. But it's it's just a completely different situation a dozen years later.
1: Yeah, well, I think uh, Harvey has been told, "Don't mess with Texas." You
0: know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that famous thing they like to say. But yeah, I, you know, Houston is a huge city. By the way, it's one of the biggest cities in the country, and you know that's a like, you know what? So. Uh, Detroit is a million and uh, what I don't know how many Houston is but it's got to be north 8 of million five. 8, Eight million. million yeah and that's just an incredible the scale of the problem is is incredible and it is mostly law abiding and uh, and people you know helping each other like the the call for boats that in the middle of the week i really like that one because that reminds me of Dunkirk. Dunkirk and they got them you know lots of boats went down there So that's, you know, that's...
0: And the call, believe it or not, the call for monster trucks. I was remarking on this last hour. I've never quite understood why anyone wants a monster truck. But it turns out they're useful in a flood. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very useful in a flood. Be
1: prepared. What it is is old Boy Scouts who buy monster
0: trucks. Now, I had the mayor of um, League City on last hour, wonderful fellow, Nick Long. And Nick Long is on the city council, and this is America. This is—I I think I may book him on my MSNBC show tomorrow because it was so America. One of five city councilmen, been up around the clock. The city's about a hundred thousand people in it. He said the United Methodist Church threw its doors open; it filled up. Every other church in town threw their doors open; it filled up. Then they opened up the high school; it filled up. They got thirty thousand homes in League City. Uh, 6,000 of which had 18 inches of water in uh, in it. Half of those 6,000 had four feet of water in it. They've run out of everything, but people keep coming up with food. Uh, They've run out of water, and people keep responding. And the trash collection begins tomorrow, and neighbors are helping neighbors. It really is kind of a remarkable microcosm of America.
1: Yep, that's right. And it's uh, spontaneous and uh, orderly, and it means it's a country, right? Fellow citizens. And and just think, you know, our, our, the structure of our society, which has become the model for the world, and it is spreading all over the world, although, alas, the freedom of America not so fast. But still, the idea that people can hold property and have resources in their own hands, that decentralizes property, and that means that it, there can be such a response. And, you know, at, 30 years ago in China... When it was backward, you, nobody was allowed to own anything, and everybody lived on subsistence. And so how could they help each other, right? They did try, I imagine, but we we have ability to do that, you know, and people can give, we're the most charitable nation on earth. I mean, the philanthropy numbers in of, uh, in America are staggering compared to the rest of the world. And so what is that? That's because... We hold to the doctrine that everybody holds a station of citizen and can have resources and is uh, obliged by honor to use those resources for the good of his community.
0: Now, I'm going to come to the Blitz after the break, but I want to talk about Tocqueville for a moment. Uh, You do teach Tocqueville at Hillsdale, do you not? Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, He remarked upon the incredible spirit of volunteerism and how Americans organize clubs, no matter where they go, they'll get a club going in about five minutes. And this is basically the spontaneous organization of millions of clubs in Houston to help each other.
1: Yeah. And that's a, that's a very profound point. It's in the, it's in the section of democracy in America called townships. And it's one of the most dramatic uh, paragraphs ever written about America. And it it goes like this. It says uh, in Europe, They look when they see a public official, they think of a force. But in America, when they look at a public official, they think of a right. And one of the, in other words, we think the government works for us. And then he goes on to a surprising thing. He says, and the consequence of this, he says, is that uh, when a citizen sees a need, he he organizes a committee and appoints himself the head of it to solve the problem. And this may be less efficient than doing it in a uniform way, but the quantity of help that becomes available is is much greater.
0: And it's not a cliche. He was making observations uh, for the benefit of the Steelers fans, and uh, and I would point out the Indiana University fans who were crushed by Ohio State last night may be despondent. Would you tell people what Tocqueville did?
1: Well, he was a French aristocrat, and he came to the United States and toured around in the 1830s and wrote uh, a a series of letters and articles that he turned into a book called Democracy in America. And it is a tremendous book. Uh, It's one of the most important commentaries on America. Uh, I I personally think there are some problems with it but also some profound insights and my favorite one is the one you just named. Well it
0: it, it resonates with me because it's always been it, people think it's a cliche about barn raising but it isn't a cliche. It's actually how things got done and and when your grandfather's a fireman in Ashtabula for 60 years you hear about how people always help in the aftermath of a burn down always 100% show up and help the family destroyed. Now this is a a devastation that is so vast it's gonna be hard to organize, but I guarantee you that the little old ladies who are in the wheelchairs and the old people with arthritis in walkers have got the neighbors taking care of them next door looking in on them. I guarantee you that's going on, Larry Arn.
1: Oh yeah. Well that you know there was this really great story yesterday about a about a woman sitting in a in a retirement home, an old woman sitting Up, sitting down in a chair, up to her waist in water. Right, and that got on the media, and somebody was there in a heartbeat.
0: In a heartbeat, and that is what (laughs) I think. Social media in the twelve years since Katrina, social media has exploded to allow us to identify and improvise, and to do so in an extraordinarily rapid fashion. When we come back, though, I want to talk with Dr. Larry Arn, official Churchill biographer, about the Blitz and how people responded to it. Uh, and what we learned from it and democracies in crisis. They were your It's the Hugh Hewitt Show. Portions of the Hugh Itch Show brought to you by Reagan.com.
2: For more info, go to ReaganPrivacy.com.
0: Welcome back, America Chu Hewitt with the Hillsdale Dialogue. Dr. Larry Arn and I have a weekly conversation, or one of his colleagues from Hillsdale College, about matters of great and lasting import. Uh, Dr. Arn, one of my favorite groups is Team Rubicon. Back when they were a young, fledgling organization, I helped them out quite a lot. Now they have huge partners like Under Armour, et cetera. And they're made up of veterans of the American military that go wherever they are needed to do hard labor. And uh, Nitty Mayo of the U.S. Navy, a member of Team Rubicon, wrote, Appearances are often misleading after a few hours of sweat and tears. We realize we share the same heart for the communities we serve and for our teammates. I believe Team Rubicon continues to thrive due to its dedication to its mission statement, its honorable members, and the resilient people affected by disasters. In the end, we are all one family of veterans and responders. And I I think Team Rubicon is so effective because they've all been to war. These are people who have been to war, come back, demobilized, but want to have the community of brotherhood and sisterhood that emerges in wartime service. And I'm wondering if that didn't profoundly impact Britain's ability to wage war when bombs were literally ripping up the cities. Uh,
1: So I was, uh, yes. Uh, So, I I've been thinking about this kind of thing this week cuz my our, our younger son graduated from boot camp this week down in South Carolina and I went down there and watched it.
0: Oh, well, congratulations. That's there very that inspiring, isn't it?
1: And it's oh man. And uh and you know when they bellow out the soldier's creed, you know, my little boy, you know, is doing that now and you know, I will hold myself ready. It's not quite an exact. Hold myself ready to deploy and engage the enemies of the United States of America in close combat. <laughs> so, you know, that's a, they're not, they're not going to kill anybody from afar, these guys. So, yeah, that bonds them together. And there was a time, you know, and it, this was true in Britain, too, at the time, until about 40 years ago, basically, if you saw an adult male, he had been in the military. Right. And now few have been. And that's one of the changes in the volunteer army. And you know, also in the change in the nature of warfare, and not so many masses of men as it used to be anymore. So that's a change in the society, and I'm glad about this organization because it is true that people who are trained to act together under difficult circumstances, uh, they 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 don't they remember how to do that. I I even actually sort of have for years had the idea that we should. We should do what Switzerland does, and that is that we should make everybody. I don't think we should make everybody serve in a a year, but I think we might make everybody go to boot camp.
0: Well, you know, General General McChrystal believes deeply in universal service. He has a broader uh, view of it than boot camp. But I'm kind of inclined in your direction, boot camp with the discipline that it requires, or OCS with the discipline that it requires, does put into a lot of lives. And Tom Ricks, a great writer, wrote Making the Corps probably 20 years ago about how you can take uh, 50 different young people from around the country, different circumstances, different backgrounds, tear them down, build them back up and make them into Marines. It's really an extraordinary book called Making the Corps. I still recommend it to people. And so at the end of this, uh, the deployment occurs, and, um, of course, the pedigree in your family goes way back. I believe Penny's grandfather, Penny's father was on the shore of Dunkirk. Am I right about that? That's right. Yep. And uh, and I like to point out the fetching Mrs. Hewitt's great-great-grandfather was the only Jewish Union general at Shiloh. Now, he almost lost that battle, but that's another story. And And so military families are different, but when you go to Houston, that spark is in everybody. I mean, these are not military people who are floating around the bayous with the with the monster trucks and their boats, their citizens.
1: Yeah, and, and to say a word about the Blitz in 1940, especially in 1940, um, that uh, the, the, it was pattern bombing, and that means that it would go down a row and devastate a neighborhood, you know, usually often cutting across streets, right? And then it, it would pick up a bit and then somewhere nearby another row. And so there's... A concentrated people who were deprived of their homes. And so everybody would turn out and fight fires and you know the number of people in the home guard who had, who had uniforms of the kind was very large. And so yeah the whole society was on a war footing and they helped and they had insurance schemes that were passed through the parliament Churchill proposed them to help take care of people so they could get their house back.
0: We'll be right back with Dr. Larry Aron more on Harvey. Remember, save the children pops up at youhewitt.com. You can go find Team Rubicon. There are a million ways to help. Be part of the million people who do help. Stay tuned. Welcome back, America. 33 minutes after the hour, I'm joined by Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College. Everything Hillsdale is available at hillsdale.edu, including your opportunity to sign up for the free, absolutely free, Speech Digest in Primus, which will arrive in your mailbox each month, online courses on the Constitution, on the progressive movement, on so many great things, and then all of my conversations with Dr. Arn and his colleagues dating back many years, collected at hugh4hillsdale.com. You can binge listen. Dr. Arn, uh, a couple of comments about the media. They are missing this story in large part. They cover a bunch of other things that the investigation by Bob Mueller is leaking like a sieve. And they want Jared Kushner's financial empire to fall apart. And I think people just turn off the channel if they're not covering Hurricane Harvey because Americans like courage and they respond to it. But one of the things they did wrong was they attempted to draw uh, drive a wedge between. Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis and the president by saying they were disagreeing over North Korea. And Jim Mattis got asked about that yesterday, and he said, I didn't, I didn't contradict anything the president said. We're not talking to the North Koreans right now. A reporter said, well, it was widely interpreted as a contradiction. And Mattis said, it was widely misinterpreted then. I can't help people who misinterpret things. I'll do my best to call it like I see it. But right now, if I say six and the president says half a dozen, they're going to say I disagree with them. He also gave an interview about why he agreed to serve. He said, that's what patriots do when the president leans on you. And then he gave this speech in Jordan earlier in the week, which I'd like you to listen to, in light of what you just told me about your son and uh, service. Yeah.
2: Come on over sir. yeah. How are you, sir? well done to you. It's good to see you all out here, young man. For those of you I haven't met, my name's Mattis. Uh, I, I work at the Department of Defense, obviously. In and, uh, thanks for being out here, okay? I know at times you wonder if any of us know, and you get promoted after a while and you're so remote that uh, you get out of touch with those of you who matter. Uh, believe me, I know you're far from home, every one of you. I know you could all be going to college, you young people, or you could be back on the block, uh, just uh, grateful. The only way, the only way this great big experiment you call, you and I call America, is going to survive, is we got uh, tough hombres like you. And uh, you remember, some of you are too young, Corporal Walton. But on 9/11, we acting up against an enemy that thought. He hurt us, he could scare us, but we don't frickin' scare. That's the bottom line. And uh, we'll go out here, we'll fight alongside our, our friends and allies, uh, and we're gonna keep right on fighting until they're sick of us and leave us alone. And you're buying time, you're a great example for our country right now. It's got some problems, you know it and I know it. It's got problems that we, won't, we don't have in the military. And you just, you just hold the line, my fine young soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines. Oh, you just hold the line until our country gets back to understanding and respecting each other and showing it of being friendly to one another, you know, that Americans owe to one another. We're so doggone lucky to be Americans. And we got two powers, the power of inspiration, and don't we'll get the power of inspiration back. we got the power of intimidation, and that's you that someone wants to school with our families and our country or our allies, okay? So thanks so much for being out here. I, you completely took me by surprise. I'm off in La La Land yesterday. <laughs> so uh, that's good. Keep the old guys like me guessing. The only reason I came back off, off of, I plumped retirement, okay? <laughs> the only reason I came back is to serve alongside young people like you who are so selfless and, frankly, so rambunctious. uh it's a pleasure to be around you all. You take care of each other out here, okay. We call them in the naval, so you take care of your shipmates out here, okay, take care of each other. It can get old, you can get hot, you can get sloppy, you can get complacent. Don't let it happen, okay So
0: Larry Arnn, hold the line, he tells them. What'd you make of that?
2: <laughs>
1: well it's it's just like the atmosphere. Uh, that I saw, right, he said, yep. it isn't Mattis great, and great with troops, you know, which is what his key thing is. Uh, so they come marching, right, there's a thousand of them, and every two weeks, a thousand young people graduate from basic at, at uh, Fort Jackson in, in South Carolina. Uh, and they, they come marching in, and it's really formidable, right, because there's a lot of them and they they come out of the woods onto a big field called Hilton Field at the, at the base and they just keep coming and then they they and everything is in order right and 9 weeks ago none of these kids knew anything about what they were doing right and they come out in order and it's just the best band you ever saw looks like they march like that and then they all come exactly at the same moment to attention facing you and i said to my wife but people around heard they're all parents of those kids down there. I said, if I was North Korea, I would be worried about this. <laughs> and the whole, everybody in my place, we all just applauded and cheered at that moment. Uh,
0: you know, it's a, it's a remarkable thing what they do. And, and we see it on the civilian side in reaction to Harvey. But there is a corrosive, and Mattis referred to this, until we get back to respecting each other at home. And you saw the pictures of the crazy anti-Semitic marchers in Charlottesville. And then you go to Berkeley and you got these crazy Antifa, antifa people who are, are beating, uh, like Reginald Denny was beaten in Los Angeles in 1992, innocent bystanders in comas, And you wonder if the extremes, the 1% or the one-tenth of 1% at the edges of our 330 million people, don't absorb the attention of the media to such a degree that it perverts our understanding of the country.
1: Yeah, and and see, think about that too. Look, look at you know, we talked about Houston at the beginning of this, right? The strength of the country is in is distributed, right? In the end, it's in the hearts of every American. The power of America is that it is built upon a set of principles that establish all of us as the owners of everything we have in this country, and and then we each get our part according to our ability to build it. And that principle of unity can make the country very strong, as is demonstrated down in South Texas. And, you know, you know what's funny? Again, in this, there's this Churchill movie coming out. I've now seen it. It's coming out in November. But the movie is, is uncynical, right? Because we talked about what happened in London in, in the Blitz, right? The point was people were mostly cheerful through that, and they were untiringly helpful and they and you know people were killed on the front lines, of course, but in London, direct attack on a major city one of the first times that ever happened in human history. and so the strength of the country that means that those crazies in Charlottesville and those crazies in Berkeley are a tiny minority, and when they pose a threat of seriousness, there will be overwhelming numbers against them
0: I, I could not agree more, and I, I do fault our media for giving them uh not enough attention as to who they are and how small they are that's what i wish they just would put it in proportion the team rubicon uh down there working selflessly in texas is far bigger than the combined forces of the anti-semitic uh white nationalist nazis and the the radical communist antifa uh, Team Rubicon dwarfs them. and I, But it's not a good story. This is a better story. The president is tweeting this morning. I want to put this in front of you as breaking news. His first tweet, which was 51 minutes ago, was Texas is healing fast, thanks to all the great men and women who've been working so hard, but still so much to do. We'll be back tomorrow. Then six minutes later, he tweeted, wow, looks like James Comey exonerated Hillary Clinton long before the investigation was over and so much more. A rigged system. And then seven minutes ago, General John Kelly is doing a great job as chief of staff. I could not be happier or more impressed. And the administration continues to, and then we'll have another one coming up. What do you make of that?
1: Uh, Well, he's up and at him. (laughs) He's up and at him. (laughs) Yeah, he's, uh, see, I, you know, there's so much division about the tweets and about him in general and, uh, I have a lot more tolerance for him than even admiration for him than, than many conservatives have. But the, the tweets, see, he just interrupted our program. So we could talk about his tweets. Yes. He, he's communicating, right?
0: <laughs> yes, he breaks in. He, he he is a burglar of the media. He breaks in every day and destroys. Our, and he wanted to get out. He got out a bunch of messages, three different messages. One's about John Kelly. boy. One's about James Comey. I was right to fire him if I can translate. One's about Texas. I'm coming back tomorrow. You're doing great. Keep it up. Yeah. Uh, and, and so he, he misspelled, by the way, healing. I misspell all of my tweets, so I, I don't really get upset about this. But they will obsess about this. And I was at the uh, Orange County Business Council yesterday with our mutual friend Brian Kaye being interviewed in front of a couple of hundred of business leaders in down in Orange County, California. I'm back out on the West Coast for a while. And they all they want to know is, what about Trump, what about Trump, what about Trump? And I tell them that they don't really get a good picture of what's going on because the administration is deeply conservative and very effective. That's yeah. the one thing that they do not seem to understand.
1: Yeah, the, the, if, if you want to complain about Washington... Uh, the the logjam that's got to be broken to change the country in the direction that that the campaign that the election was about is in the Congress, right? They've they've got, and it, and I'm not I'm not bickering at the Congress this morning. I'll do that later. <laughs> it uh, but they you know they have an opportunity to do some very big things, and it's very hard to get them done. And you know it doesn't matter that a lot of the bills that need to pass. They passed in a heartbeat earlier when they knew they would never be signed, and now they're hesitating. That's embarrassing, right? But of course, it is more formidable when it's actually going to happen. And so, there's the the cotton the immigration bill. It's just a stunning bill, and it would it would uh, turn us back into what we were, which is uh, a country with very significant immigration and. The places awarded to people who will be excellent, productive citizens. And that's, you know, the, that used to happen just by, because it was so hard to get here, America filled up with people who could do really hard things. And uh, now, now we should have some system more like all the countries, most countries, that say you can come here if you can take care of yourself and contribute to our society. That's pending now. That, this month they may take that up. They I, I think the cotton that.
0: bill's going to pass. Because yeah. I think Chris Coons, and I think they're going to attach the DACA to it, because DACA is illegal. People don't understand this. I love these DACA kids. I want them to stay. The executive order is unconstitutional. We cannot indulge an unconstitutional executive order, or that which gets rewarded gets repeated, right? Yeah. So they need to marry the Cotton Bill with a DACA amnesty. That's what they need to do.
1: And that's the strategy. It's Tom's strategy, anyway. It's Senator Cotton's strategy, anyway. And... Um and see, and, and remember, if you have an immigration system that uh, w- once somebody comes in, then all their families, which is, you know, like in HMS Pinafore, the Gilbert and Sullivan play, all their sisters and their cousins and their aunts, then, then you know, you're, every time you admit one, you're, you're admitting 200.
0: 200. And we come back after break. We'll talk about that. Don't go anywhere. Dr. Larry Arn returns with the Hillsdale Dialogue. back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt with Dr. Larry Arnn on the week that has been Harvey. Dr. Arnn, during the break I was reading about what our Mormon friends are doing. Uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are always sort of disaster-oriented, and they have been sending vast quantities from the church's Bishop's Central Storehouse and Humanitarian Center in Salt Lake City. They are assisting the Red Cross, the Convoy of Hope. They're partnering with the Adventist Community Services. Their temple in Houston is completely flooded, and yet they continue to pour out. And that's not just the Mormons. It's every religious community is doing this. I don't think we, we even pause to reflect upon the nature of the citizenry in the United States very often, but this is one of those moments when we ought to. It's still doggone strong and good.
1: Yeah, well, you know, the Mormon church is an interesting thing because it's, uh, as I understand it, I know a lot of Mormons, Mike Lee from Utah, a friend of mine, the senator, um, they don't have clergy. They just all do it, you know. It, it's done by the, by the flock. Whatever they do, you know they have services on there once a week, just like everybody else does. Anyway, they're so they're a very self-reliant bunch of people. But the a point to make: everybody should understand this. The only country on earth that has prevalent charity from ordinary people is the United States of America.
0: How would you expand on that?
1: Well, it you know if you just you, you know just, just look up United States philanthropy, Google it. And look up European and look up Asian right, and so in our country we we think that we are the ones in charge and responsible, and so something bad happens in Houston, and our hearts go out to them, and then it follows that we will help and it's and it, it just in general, you know it just in in uh, even in England, right, the amount of giving to strangers for good causes is not anything like in this country.
0: And And it's got to go back to the fact that it was a frontier country. It's got to go back to Tocqueville.
1: Well, it's got to go back to, uh, because see, Tocqueville's not just talking about a condition. He's also, you know, how we live. He's also talking about the principles that justify it, see, because what happened in America is it's not just that we moved across the ocean. It's it's what we encountered and what we brought with us. And what we encountered was a frontier. But what we brought with us was every attribute of civilization except aristocracy. And so that was all wiped out, right? And so now we're all just here, and then we have this principle of equality. And that means our leaders are beholden to us and chosen by us. And if you just read that soldier's creed that my boy, and 999 others bellowed out with real gusto, you know, the last lines are, I stand ready to deploy, engage, and destroy the enemies of the United States of America in close combat. I am a guardian of freedom and the American way of life. I am an American soldier. You see? And they over and over they said that, right? It just takes nine weeks, you know. These Young people were civilians nine weeks ago that's a dignity now they are a, they are soldiers see everybody in America everybody's a soldier and that's because of freedom and equality
0: it would be it is a uh, it is an interesting thing to think about uh, combining your idea about boot camp for everyone with general McChrystal's idea that you don't have to be a soldier sailor airman or marineman to serve but boot camp sure would be good for everybody wouldn't it
1: well, in Switzerland, every, you know that's that's you know one of the reasons that Switzerland is uh, is never been overcome is because it's neutral, and the other reason is it's a mountain fortress and everybody's armed.
0: Yeah, everybody.
1: So, so you got to keep it, You've got to keep a military rifle in your home. Everybody serves right, and they don't they don't actually spend a lot of time at it. But they're all trained, and there are refreshers along the way. That's what I think, and uh, I I think that we should have something like that. And if, if you just think of what an uh, it's a huge commitment if we do it, because the military, you know, the army is, It looks to me like Fort Jackson is the put, trains more soldiers than anybody else in the United States Army, right? And I think that they're training about fifty thousand a year. Right. And fifty thousand is a lot. Yeah. Uh but but you know, it would be a multiple of that if everybody did it. And think how many drill sergeants you'd need, you know? And
0: and we would be uh, it, we would replace a lot which has been lost in the formation of young people. Uh, it's something to think about and talk about. I'll get General McChrystal on. He believes in national service passionately. but I And I don't think we need a draft, but I, I wouldn't mind nine weeks for every young man and woman. And the Israelis find that it is useful for them as well. Dr. Larry Arn of Hillsdale College, uh, congratulations on the opening of another year and on the commissioning of an American soldier in your family. My congratulations and thanks to your son. Pass those along, and I will talk to you again next week. America, thanks. We have done uh, 15 hours of radio this week to help Houston, and we will continue to cover it next week and on MSNBC tomorrow morning. I will do it again. I'm also going to talk with Henry Winkler about the Hollywood-American divide on Trump. Uh, Henry Winkler is just a wonderful guy. He's just a terrific, amazing guy. So be sure to join me on MSNBC tomorrow morning as I talk politics with the Fonz and uh, and you know him from many other places. The Water Boy, you know him from Arrested Development. He's just a wonderful guy. Don't miss tomorrow morning, eight a.m. East Coast time, five a.m. on the West. Set your DBR if you want to get it. And I'll be back on Monday. Thank you, Adam and Dwayne. Thank you, Ben. Thanks all of you for listening. Hang in there, Houston and Texas.